good to see everyone this morning. Let's go ahead and stand. Let's sing out. Let's worship the Lord this morning.
praise. He deserves it. You may be seated. Okay, good. microphone. Oh, you're tall. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, I would like to welcome you here this morning. Uh, My name is Matthew, one of the pastors here at Faith Family Fellowship. So happy Father's Day. We we have the the privilege of joining together on this day to be together uh, centered around around the Lord and around uh, his fatherhood as he sent his son to be the savior of the world. And so, as we, as we have gathered, uh, we have several things to talk about. And so, uh, give, by way of announcements, we'd like to give you a few, uh, heads up of a few things happening over the next week, uh, the next few weeks in the month of June, and also uh, a change to uh, children's over the month of July. And so, just want to want to notify you on the 27th, which is next Sunday, we'll be having a uh, our annual business meeting to discuss budget for next week and to approve the budget uh, for this next year. Um, and then also that day, there will be in the evening a, a parents meeting for our children's ministry in the gym at 5 p.m. Uh, to discuss children's ministry and the needs therein. Uh, and then we will be having a family service that evening. So directly after that, about 6 p.m., Next Sunday evening, we'll be having a family service gathering in here all together, and so uh, that will be that will be the next uh, Sunday evening. Also through July, uh, the Wednesdays uh, of July, the third K three through fifth grade, uh, we'll we'll have some time together. Wow on Wednesdays, the summer game time during July together, uh, we'll be uh, we'll be here, and there are sign-up forms right back here. There we go. They're, they're right back here on the way out, and so information there for you as you head out. All right? So, uh, anyone interested in helping, there'll be a meeting this Wednesday, the 23rd, at 6.30 in C Building for anyone interested in helping in that. All right. Got them done. So, uh, if you're a guest here this morning, uh, would love to have a record of your visit. There should be in the pew in front of you uh, a card, and would love to have uh, to know you're here, be able to pray for you. If you would fill that out, drop that into the offering basket on your way out this morning. Uh, that would be great. Let's, let me pray for us, and then uh, we'll direct our attention up to the baptistry uh, to, celebrate, uh, to celebrate baptism this morning. So if you would pray with me. Father God, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for this time together. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to rejoice in your goodness, to rejoice in your kind fatherhood for us, that you, before the foundations of the earth were laid, you set in motion that you would send your son to save us. So, Father, thank you for your grace that you have extended to sinful people, that you, Lord Jesus, paid our debt. So, Father, I ask that God, This morning, you would direct our attention to you and who you are and your goodness. That, God, you would draw our minds and our hearts towards you. God, I thank you for uh, the baptism we're about to witness. 
And Lord, I ask that God, uh, you would, that Lord, as this is a picture of the beginning of life in Christ, that God, that God, it would be the day in and day out reality in her life and in our lives of following and walking after you. That every day we would take up our cross and die to self and walk towards and with you, following you in all of our lives. And so, God, we thank you and ask all these things in the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. We are so uh, thankful and privileged to have a, uh, a baptism today. And, um, and actually, uh, we should be praying for Pastor Joel. Pastor Joel is sick today, and uh, he's really the one that should be up here doing this today. So um, we're, as our team is working at things, we're glad to fill in. Uh, for our pastor at any given moment but man we sure miss him and uh, Joel if you're watching this man we miss you we're going to be praying for you today to feel better so um, we're so delighted in our our, our, our kids and our youth and our, and our church that are they're hearing the gospel and they're hearing um, the call of the Lord And uh, sometimes in a church we go through periods of time that um it just seems like that the movement of the Lord isn't there, even though it is. But uh, there are times that um, that the evidence is even more um, present, and see that as people are coming to the Lord in obedience, trusting in Jesus, the only one that we can trust in for the forgiveness of our sins, for the penalty that was paid for our salvation. So. As, uh, as those that enter the waters of baptism, it's the evidence of the decision that has been made to, um, to follow the Lord and, and, and say, Jesus, you are mine. You are my Savior now. Let me tell everyone about that through being baptized. So that's what baptism is about here at Faith Family. So uh, I'm going to ask Lucy to join me here. Join me in the baptistry. This is Lucy Pierce, daughter of Allison and Stephen, and uh, she has uh, decided to trust in Christ as her Savior. Uh, Pastor Joel and, and Janet prayed with her the other day, uh, the confirmation process. So, Lucy, I'm so glad you're here. The, the day you've been waiting for, isn't it? So, uh, can I ask you, are you trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone to save you from Said yes. That's her testimony to you that she has trusted in Christ, her Savior. And it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. And uh, thank you all for those that have. Uh, discipled her and you've taught her in your classes and you've been part of her life and that's the fruit of um of teaching and investing in our in the kids here in this church and other churches too but uh, since we're talking about faith family church and um and i uh, thank you for her fan club that came uh, all all our family and everything so y'all are awesome for being here today so welcome Isn't that wonderful? Amen. 
Amen. Go ahead and stand. Let's continue with our worship this morning. As morning dawns and evening fades, you inspire songs of praise that rise from earth to touch your heart and glorify your name. Your name is a strong and mighty tower. Your name is a shelter like no other. Your name, let the nations sing louder. Cause nothing has the power to save but your name. Mm. Jesus, in your name we pray, come and fill our hearts today. Lord, give us strength to live for you and glorify your name. Because your name is a strong and mighty tower. Your name is a shelter like no other. Your name, let the nations sing and Nothing has the power to save but your Your name is a strong and mighty tower. Your name is a shelter like no other. Your name, let the nations sing it louder. Cause nothing has the power to say. Your name is a strong and mighty
Desperate to be ready. 
Pastor Ernie, thank you for mentioning that uh, Pastor Joel is sick and is not, not able to be here this morning, and so we are we're going to take a, a little segue away from 2 Peter this morning and look at Ephesians 2. And so if you were in a, a Sunday school class this morning, there's the potential that that was a text that y'all looked at. Uh, the students looked at Ephesians 2 this morning, and there were a few adult classes, I believe y'all were there also, and so we're going to... We're kind of return to it, unpack some different parts of it, and look at this section of verses that are, are pretty common in that we, we talk about them often, they are good memory verses, great bits of scripture, and so I just want to bring three points out of them and remind us, trying to tie in Father's Day and uh, what we see of God the Father here in this text and specifically God's kindness and His goodness. And so before we do that, if you want to go to Ephesians 2, what's on the screen, let us pray again and ask the Lord's blessing on this time that He would speak, He would be glorified, and that each of us would see clearly who He is from Ephesians 2. So pray with me if you would. Lord God, by your grace, we are here. Only by your grace can we stand. Only by your grace do we have life. Only by your grace can we see clearly. And so, Father, may your Spirit apply your grace this morning. That, Lord, we would hear from your Word. We would see you high and lifted up. And that, God, your Spirit would bring about life. And so, Father, if there is anyone here this morning that needs to, needs to have your spirit quicken them and open their eyes, would you do that this morning? May they see you clearly from your word. God, your eminence, may you draw them to see you and to see your uncommon, unnatural, extravagant grace. So, Father, would you, would you draw our minds this morning? God, any of us who are sorrowful because of it being Father's Day, because of loss, God, I ask that you would meet us. That God, you would supply. And so, Father, reveal to us who you are and reveal also who we are. I thank you and ask all in the name of your Son, Jesus, these things.
Amen. So this weekend, this weekend begins in, uh, in Oregon, the U.S. Olympic track and field trials. And so they are right now, this weekend, running around a track, testing out who's fastest and see who is going to go represent the United States next month in Tokyo. And so at this time, with the Olympics, growing up, the, the sprints, the sprints, the track and field is the edifice, the, the image that the Olympics conjured in my mind in thinking about it. I know it's a massive thing, and there are all kinds of sports, all kinds of events, all kinds of things represented uh, in, in the Summer Olympic Games specifically, but what came to my, my child mind was running, was seeing the men and women run in, on the track and field event. And so that's happening right now. And, and if you have seen these people, if you have seen these, uh, these men and women sprint down 40 meters or 100 or however many and seen them as they, as they prep, especially for those short events, every moment, every step, every bit of clothing, the, the, the starting blocks, it is all crucial. It is all crucial for winning that race. That one thing messed up, one thing out of whack, one little screw loose in a starting block, not giving that good foundation to start off with can ruin the sprinter's race to where they do not finish and do not win. And so that starting block specifically is essential, is an essential thing for them to start off, to have that good foundation to begin that race and to be able to get to the finish line in the position that they want to be in. And so in a similar way, as we have been looking at, uh, we have been looking at the conclusion of the race the last few weeks in Second Peter. We've been looking at how, how what will happen, what we as believers look forward to, the return of Christ as He is coming back, as He is coming back to take His bride, His people, to be with Him for all eternity, and that that reality of Him returning changes how we live here and now, changes what we do here and now, that we are to live godly lives, live lives that are dependent upon Him, to live in personal holiness because of what Jesus has done in our lives and what He is doing, what we are looking forward to. But just like these runners, just like these these racers that are, are, are running this weekend without that beginning, without that foundation, without that solid starting block, the conclusion of the race is uncertain. And so as we are looking forward, I want to remind us of our foundation from Ephesians 2, remind us the foundation of Christ, the reality of the grace of Christ that is essential for us to live in and live out of the reality of what God has done in the lives of His people to change their very identity, the very fiber of their being that changes all of their lives looking forward. So that's what we are doing looking at Ephesians 2 and this section here about about the certain foundation of Christ. So Paul in the book of Ephesians is a wonderful letter, wonderful book, the first chapter. He is just He has just revealed to the Ephesians and then to us the greatness of God, the eternal plan of God, the mystery that was once uh, once shrouded in darkness as the people before Jesus did not know and understand as we see 
in the Jewish people as they received. Some of them received the Son, but many of them rejected the Son because they did not understand. It was a mystery what God was doing, how He was bringing about salvation for His people. And that we see Paul is, is unveiling to us this grand narrative of what Jesus has done. What God, the triune God, before the foundations of the earth set in motion that He would send His Son to save. He would send His Son as a sacrifice to pay the debt of sins that we have deserved, that we deserve. He stood in our place, in the place of people, in the place of these Ephesians paying their their debt. And so God has called out of the world and set apart these people to have an inheritance, what they will once receive that is placed and sits with them in, in a place of authority, heavenly authority. And so until every contrary voice and heart is silenced before him and all is put underneath his feet. And so then we arrive at chapter two. We arrive at this, this picture, this very personal picture of what this means for these Ephesian people and then what this means for you and for me. And so there's three points I want to draw out of this. Three points. One, the commonness of spiritual death. The common naturalness of spiritual death. The abundance of God's great love, that God's great merciful love is abundant, is super abundant. And then lastly, the kindness of God the Father. The fatherly kindness we see in God sending His Son. So let's read the first three verses of Ephesians 2. And you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind." So as Paul speaks to the Ephesians, he says says to them, you were once dead. You were dead in your sins and trespasses in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That he says that this was you. The Ephesian people, this, this church, these were you. This is what you were like. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. A dead person is dead. You don't move, you don't choose, you don't do anything. If you're dead, you're dead. Simple, right? There is no, there is no other way around it. If you're, you're dead in your sins and trespasses. And notice, notice what he says here in that what were they doing? What was the common reality of their lives? They were following the course of this world. The way marked out, the path the very common way of life that is natural. They were dead in sins and trespasses. They were spiritually dead because they were still doing things, right? So they were still, they were still living, but spiritually that death welled over into an unquestioned reality of life in that they, these Ephesians, they followed a course, a course marked out for them, and a course that we can identify with a person specifically. And who is that person we see in these first few verses? Satan, the devil. There's a course of this world. There's a common 
path that is led and motivated and within the activity of the enemy. And so I want you to see here clearly what this is saying, that this pattern of life, these Ephesians, they, they no longer live this way because there has been a change in their lives. But this change was from what was natural and what was common. In other words, there is a way to live that you will find friends in because it is very common and it is natural and it is unquestioned and that everybody is, is there. So the Ephesians, this pattern, this course of this world, as Paul is telling them, this, this experience that, that they, they were, were within, this experience was brought about, was, was joined within, and was now at work in the sons of disobedience. You see that identifying word there, that what, what qualified their lives was disobedience and disobedience to God. That this volitional sin led to, created, and came from this death of the Spirit. And so they were by nature children of wrath, of God's wrath. So, were these, are these people he's talking to peculiar? Is this just a special group of people, you think? The terms he's using here are general. And I hope you see that. I hope you see that naturally we stand before God, not right. We stand before God in His judgment. We stand before God in our sinful nature, dead in our spirit, unable to see clearly, and judged by Him that His wrath is coming. The early church had a view of the atonement. They had a view called the ransom theory of the atonement. And it was the thought, the understanding of Christ paying for sin in that in Adam and Eve and them deciding to turn from God and to turn to listen to the serpent, to listen to Satan, that they were then, they were then enslaved to sin and death and handed over, handed over basically the keys to their life to the enemy. And that Jesus had come to buy them back, to pay a ransom. To buy them back from the devil so that God can own them again. And there, there are elements of truth in this, but ultimately that, that elevates who Satan is and devalues and denigrates God to bring them into a more of an even place. And we don't see that in Scripture at all. That God is in complete control he is not challenged by anyone or anything. But there is an element of truth in that we, being dead, spiritually dead in our sins and trespasses, we are bound to a life of sin apart from God. And at this being natural, we cannot just look within and look at what seems right to us and trust that my view of myself, my view of things around me is accurate without respect to God. And without respect to who he is and what he has done and said. In other words, God at work in our lives is not natural at all. So we need not look for natural answers. 
but instead look towards Him. Listen to God. Listen to what He has said and what He has done. So the abundance of God's great love, number two. Let's continue reading in Ephesians. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. But God. This is a great pivot. Fantastic pivot. We were dead in our sins and trespasses in which we once walked. There was no hope. We're following the course of this world. What is natural to us is leading us to death. That we have, we're spiritually dead, unable to help ourselves. But that is welling into one day a physical death and then an eternal spiritual death. But God. But God's goodness. But God in His riches of mercy He brought about grace upon us because of His great love. Notice the great love of God that changes the story of the Ephesians. That these people, these people, their identity is changed by God. That God steps in. He intervenes. He steps into their darkness and death. That what they naturally inhabited, that God supernaturally stepped in to change who they are. And that it was not out of what they deserved. It was not out of their goodness. It was not out of their position. It wasn't a strategic position in the world that God said, I've got I've to be there, so I'm going to go save these people in Ephesus because anything else I want to do is not going to happen. And it hinges on this place and these people. It has nothing to do with that. But it is because of His great love by His grace that He came to save them. His great and abundant love and mercy. He brings these people out of death and into life. So as they were dead in their trespasses, He made them alive together with Christ. And so what kind of life? What kind of life did He give them? Is it a temporary life? Is it, a, is it something that will wane with time? Is it something that must be renewed? Well, look at Christ. What do we see in Jesus? There's that connection there. He says that alive with Christ as Jesus is buried and that He is raised to life as the the Holy Spirit comes and and brings Him back to life that we see as Thomas who doubts comes and and says, Jesus, I will not not believe that He is alive unless I touch Him. And he He puts His finger, He touches the wounds of Jesus. He physically touches him. And then we have Peter who sits on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and eats a meal with Jesus as Jesus consumes food and he is there with Peter and restores Peter to his place within the disciples. He restores him and leads him in repentance that we have Jesus who is truly alive. He is not an apparition. He does not appear to be alive, but He sits right now eternally alive in victory over sin and death for eternity. He will return one day. He will descend. He will be told that it is your time, that He will descend and come to gather His people. We are made alive with Christ. The same life He lives, He shares with His people. This promised spiritual life that grows into A very physical life that we will see and enjoy forever. 
So these Ephesians that he is saying, this abundant love that God has acted upon and brought them, made them alive together in Christ. This is simply, this life is full, it is complete, and it grows and progresses to encompass all we are. And so as he said in chapter 1, verse 14, that he that we have been sealed by the Spirit as we have been set in heaven if we are in Him. And that that, that reality of, of life wells up and grows and is set for us in, in heaven for eternity. And notice also, by grace, this is unmerited favor. It is not deserved at all. So by grace He saves. It is by grace that He has applied his mercy upon these people and that he applies this mercy upon us we are saved reborn made alive we are bought bought back from sin he is he is shares his mercy he purchases us he redeems us he regenerates us he forgives by his grace none of us deserve his favor Look back at those verses and notice the change. Notice the change we see that He makes us alive together with Christ. We were dead in our trespasses. That at the beginning, the first three verses, Paul is talking to them and now he includes himself. That Paul's focus in the first three verses was the Ephesians and now he is including himself in in the object here that he is the one also with the ephesians who has received the grace of god no pedigree no activity no obedience nothing we can do can merit god's favor doesn't matter how we were raised doesn't matter how much we contribute it doesn't matter how many words we keep to ourselves and don't say it doesn't matter how often we don't say what we want to say it doesn't matter how nice we are to people. It doesn't matter whether we pay our bills. It doesn't matter whether we uh, support so many people. None of that matters before God for salvation. It is only by His grace. His favor on our behalf is unmerited. We do not deserve it. We do not earn it. None of us have. But it is only by His grace because of what He has done. And so let us, let us see, let us look and apply and remind ourselves of that reality is that we have not earned God's favor. And we do not continue to earn God's favor. We do not keep His favor because of our obedience and our goodness. But it is only by His grace. It is only by His goodness. And so lastly, lastly, the kindness of the Father so within this, we, we see that God the Father is spoken of here beside God the Son. And the term Father doesn't appear in this passage, but we know from other Scripture, we know from the first chapter that we have the Trinity here that is active within the work of salvation. And so if you read with me, let's pull it out here in verse 6, 7, 8, and 9. As it says, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. 
through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God and not a result of works so that no one may boast. So the triune God in counsel with himself before the foundations of the earth decided that God the Father would send God the Son to take flesh and walk among us to empty himself of his divine rights and privileges for the time of adding to himself the limitation of humanity to be able to pay and give his life on the cross to pay for the debt of sin that all people have have taken volitionally within and is the tone of our lives that we naturally exist within that the son came to pay that ransom debt of sin against the father's justice that God the Son came to, to consume the wrath of God that is due sin so that by that work of grace, by the Son then and in giving His life on the cross, that the Spirit then resurrected Him and brought Him back to life, then that work of grace is applied to the people of God by the Spirit on His desire and by, by His call, through His grace, an unmerited favor. Maybe I move over here, it'll be a little better. won't happen again. The Father sacrificed His Son. The love of God was a love that was sacrificial. Fathers. What does it mean to be a father? To have children? In part, God shows us His abundant love in that He sacrificed what was essential, most important, of greatest value for those He loved. As fathers, we sacrifice. We love our family, our wives. We love our wife, excuse me. We love our wife, not saying plurality. (laughs) We love our wife and our children sacrificially. Giving of ourselves, resources, effort, time, energy for them and for others. God the Father gave His Son to save His people. It is unearned and unmerited. He initiates, He sets apart, He brings about, He saves. It's not something we accomplish, but it is by His grace so that none of us have a right to boast. And so what do we take away from this? What are a few points to take away from this? One, how do you look at yourself? In that, do you look at yourself naturally, comparatively? How do you gauge where you're at? Do you look around you and compare yourself with everyone else and say you're good or bad? What is your measure? Is your measure one of comparison or is your measure God's Word? If our measure is comparison, we might be in a trap because your eyes may be natural and not spiritual. And you may not be able to see clearly who you are and clearly what your needs are. Because if you are dead in your sins and trespasses, if that is the course of your life, if you're walking after that, you look at everyone else around you, you look at everyone else around the world, you're going to find encouragement and not a challenge. And what you need to see clearly is what God says here 
is that your issue is one of nature, it is one of essence, it is not one of behavior, it is not one of activity, it is not one of entertainment, it is not one of other things, other tarnishing idols before you, but what is most essential and the problem is our nature, our hearts, our souls are dead, and we must have Christ come give us life. We must have His grace. Look to Him. See Him high and lifted up. Turn your gaze upon Christ, upon God and His Word. Listen to the Lord that you would see clearly rather than looking just upon nature. Also, God's grace. It is by grace that we are saved. Paul, Paul's a stellar person. In that his religious life before Christ was immaculate. And yet he identifies himself in this group, these Ephesians people, as ones who are dead in sin and desperately needed the grace of Christ. Grace humbles us. The fact that every one of us stands before God empty and dead in desperate need of His grace, evens the terrain. None of us never are better than one another. We are all in desperate need of the grace of Christ, and we all must have His forgiveness and mercy. It is always by His grace. Therefore, we need not look around us and can again go into the first one, compare ourselves, but also say, I'm better than this person because of this and this and this. We are all in desperate need of grace. None of us can better our position before God apart from Christ. It is only by His grace that we are saved. Therefore, that leads us not to boast. Not to be prideful, arrogant of why we are better than this this person or that person. But it is only by His grace. That is a reality we never will escape from. And that is good. Because I don't want to stand on my own. I don't want to one day stand before God on my own hoping for the best. But instead, trusting fully in Christ. That He is is what makes me right before Him. And lastly, fathers, the love of God sacrifices. God has called us to sacrifice He has called us to give our lives to serve one another. That is what He has done for us. I hope that is what we do for one another and for our families. Well, let's pray. And then we will have a moment of invitation. We'd like to invite you to respond to the Lord. This whole passage is a response. It is a recognition of what is real in our lives and then a response to what God has done. We do not save ourselves. We respond to God's offer of grace. And so it's essential that we respond. And I want to encourage you, after I pray, we'll have a a time for you to respond to the Lord. Where you're at, you can come down here. I can pray with you, whatever you need. But it is essential you respond to God. Respond to what He has said. Respond to what He has done. Turn to Him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You for Your mercy. God, I thank You that You have not given us what we deserve. That You, Lord, what we deserve, You have retained. 
you have stored up and that you poured out upon your Son. That the Lord Jesus gave of His perfect life, His perfect blood on the cross to pay our debt. So that our lives are changed, our lives are new, our lives are different because of what He has done. And Lord, I ask Your help in each of our hearts that God, You would draw us. That God, You would draw those who who do not know You, who just are natural within their sin, Lord, that You would draw them and apply the supernatural power of the Spirit of, of grace in Christ in their lives and draw them to, to reckon who they are and then to trust in You. And Father, I ask that, God, You would do that this morning. God, that You would lead us, Your people, to make that call in the lives of others to share and to be to be active, to, to tell others about who You are and what You have done. That God, we would see your, your work of grace coming to save people, that that would become our work also. To share of who You are, that, that others would respond to You, Lord. God, I ask that God, you would, you would draw us to see clearly Your fatherly love for Your people, Your children. That You gave of Yourself in order to make us right, to meet our greatest need. And Father, would you lead us to do the same as earthly fathers of children, leaders of families, that God, we would sacrificially give of ourselves and of our lives to serve others and to serve our families, Lord. As difficult as that is, God, may we be full of you and your spirit to live humbly before you, to be like you. And so, Father, would you lead us, guide us in this moment. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.